Radio 1, 91 FM, your weekly politics show, and we are very privileged to have Professor Bill Harris in here to talk with us about the situation in the Middle East. We were just reminiscing off air how it's been uh, about seven years uh, since I started um, moving into more general politics broadcasting here on Radio 1 just about the time that the Syrian war was kicking off, and uh, we've had Bill in numerous times over the years to talk about the various um, shifts in that conflict. But now it seems to be um, well and truly transitioning uh, from the Syrian war to the war over Kurdistan, and I'm uh, referencing sort of the the winding down and the apparent mm, victory, I guess, of the Assad regime in that overall Syrian theater, the wane of ISIS, and now we're seeing um, shifting geopolitical alliances, most recently with the battle over Kirkuk, uh, where the Iraqi military, uh, supported by some Iranian elements, came and pushed the Kurds out of this um, territory that they had sort of... Um, rightfully seized from ISIS when the Iraqi army couldn't. Yeah, I mean, all these things connect together. Of course, the, the whole ISIS affair in, in Iraq was uh, combined with the ISIS surge in Syria, so they were, these things were all happening together. And uh, the Kurds were able to get a large part of what are termed disputed territories as a consequence of holding ISIS. Uh, so we're talking about... an an interconnected war arena right across Syria and Iraq in which uh, things that have happened in one country have then rolled on to affect things that have happened in the other country. So the, the Kurdish hold on Kirkuk, for example, which they've, which they've wanted, obviously, as, as the major target, historical target of, Iraq, of Kurds in Iraq, um, was opened to them by the conflict with ISIS and the collapse of the Iraqi army in north, northern Iraq. I mean, that, that's another point, too. We've had a procession of Iraqi armies. We've had Saddam Hussein's army and mm. then the army the Americans built up after they occupied the place, uh, and then that collapsed in the face of ISIS, and then another Iraqi army has been built up by the Americans. And the Kurds the Kurds say out of this, incidentally, that they've faced uh, an American-equipped Iraq. They're, they're supposedly an American ally. Right but have faced an American-equipped Iraqi army twice <laughs> in, during this affair. In 2014, of course, ISIS seized all that weaponry when the Iraqi army collapsed in Mosul. Sure. Uh, and then the Kurds faced that. And got the uh, weapons back off them. Um, well, the Kurds didn't get the weapons back, really. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, but, but they, they, they basically had to be fortified a bit to stand up against this. Yeah. And then, of course, more recently, the last couple of months or so, once again, the Kurds say, we're facing an American, American weaponry uh, supplied to the Iraqi army. Uh, and this is the second time around. <laughs> yeah. And now the Kurds, I mean, they always kind of have been a strong... American ally in the sense that I guess Iraqi Kurdistan is essentially the um, northern no-fly zone from the original Gulf War. Yeah, I mean when when Turkey said it wouldn't participate in the in the 2003 um, assault on Saddam Hussein, uh, of course that to a degree the Kurds in northern Iraq filled the gap for the Americans and and tied up Iraqi forces etc. in northern. Iraq, while the Americans came up from the south, which wasn't exactly the same as if the Turkish army had been involved, but nonetheless the Kurds were quite useful. Uh, 
and of course have hoped out of all that that they would get a sympathetic hearing and treatment in Washington, which they have to a degree, but they tend they tend to have overlooked the American commitment to this new Iraq, because the Americans, to a large degree, uh, have have set up this federal Iraqi state, and rather reluctantly agreed to a Kurdish autonomous region, I mean the Americans, because the Americans didn't conceive this federation being on the basis of a sort of ethno-sectarian carve-up, but uh, trying to put people together in the different provinces rather in the American style of federalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were rather reluctant, rather reluctantly agreed to this sort of super-federal unit that the Kurdistan regional government has amounted to since, two, since this, this constitution was set up in 2005. Yeah. Uh, so, 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 so the Kurdish expectation that the Americans will be on their side has been a rather misplaced expectation. The Americans and the Americans feel tied to Baghdad because they want, of course, to keep Iranian influence at bay. Right. Um, and the Iranians have a lot of advantages in dealing with Shia Iraqi Arabs, of course, uh, who, who are in the natural course of things quite suspicious towards Westerners and towards the United States and they felt the United States was going to save them back in the 1990s when when they and the Kurds rose in rebellion against Saddam Hussein in 19 after the Kuwait affair sure uh, but and that didn't quite pan out but they did get well, their more autonomous region the Kurds did yeah. yes but the Iraqi Shia were crushed right in the south yes and so when the Americans turned up again in 2003 they they didn't get a great reception from the Shia yes. even though they serviced the Shia sure I mean they put the Shia in charge of Baghdad as the majority and Iran but Iran was the main power used their influence then with Iran, the Iran collected out of what the Americans did mm. I mean this was a huge sort of philanthropic thing on behalf of Iran yeah uh, which 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 gained its p- present position, present powerful position in Iraq, basically courtesy of the Americans. Now it seems like what you're saying is there might have been a um, difference of interpretation about how far the autonomous Kurdish region in Iraq, how far that autonomy went. Uh, basically saying like yeah. the Kurds were like, yeah, we love this autonomous region, we're in a federal conglomeration, but we're on the road to eventual independence. Whereas for the um, Iraqi government, or as far as the U.S. was originally conceiving, that was it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. The autonomy was the the end of the that road. was the max. Yeah, but that's not just the view of the Iraqi government; that's the view of the United States as well. Right. And, and the Kurds have have had rather false hopes about the Americans. And so that the Americans also, I mean, to come back to your business of the weapons in 2014, when when ISIS came and took that huge stock of American weapons, and the Americans then had to intervene. Uh, because Yazidis were getting massacred and the Kurds yep. were being pushed back by ISIS equipped with all this American weaponry. The Kurds had to, had the Americans had to intervene, but they intervened just to do what was necessary to hold up, to, to enable the Kurds to hold ISIS. Of course, the Kurds were hoping they were going to get uh, some more advanced weaponry because the Kurds were basically equipped at that point with uh, obsolete Russian stuff from the 70s, 80s, 90s. Back from the original Back, back from when, back from pr- 
Kurdish rebellions against the Iraqi regime in those days and their acquisition of Iraqi uh, Russian weaponry, etc. That's what that's the sort of thing they had. And ISIS was attacking them with more advanced American weaponry. Yeah, ISIS attacking with American weaponry. Yeah, see, yeah, <laughs> not an ideal situation. Um, and but the Americans did not want the Kurds to be armed to the point at which they could mount a challenge to Baghdad in the future. Right. Because of the so difference they, of opinion over the autonomy. So the Kurds were given a, a limited flow of weaponry by the Americans, enough to hold themselves and to be the ground force against ISIS. Right. Now, but not, but not weaponry to the point where later, after ISIS, yes, they, they could back up that independence. They would be, back, they would be heading for independence, etc. More than that, of course, the Americans have supplied very liberally uh, to this second time round being reconstructed Iraqi army. Yeah, has been very liberally supplied with with. American heavy equipment. We're talking about large self-propelled howitzers, yeah. uh, heavy tanks. We're not talking about just light and medium weaponry here. We're talking about the gear, which was necessary, for obviously, for the Iraqis to uproot ISIS in Mosul. Mm. But they've they've collect and 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 there's been talk. There was even the, this talk, and 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 the contracts exist, and and they're starting to get them of the of the Iraqis getting F-16s. Oh yeah. And the the Kurds even in 2014 were saying if the Iraqi if the Iraqis get F-16s the fir- the first people they'll use them against will be us. Yeah. Uh, so when they decided to have this referendum a month or two ago, which everybody reckons was a huge mistake and 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 so forth, there were reasons for doing that. The the Barzani and these people felt they were running out of time. ISIS thing was coming to an end. The Iraqi government would reassert itself across Arab Iraq. Yeah. The Iraqi government would get more American weaponry, and the Russians were, they were even talking to the Russians about shipping over T-90, T-90 tanks from, from stocks in Syria uh, to, to sell to the Iraqis. And the Kurds were sort of, some of the Kurds, I think, around Barzani were feeling, well, best we, best we test this referendum thing and reactions to it sooner rather than later. Sure. Because the strategic environment is shifting around as we're, as we're sitting here. Yeah. So there were certain pressures, I think, certain objective pressures in the environment for them to move. But the reaction um, to it now seems to have been um, quite extreme, and you've given a, a a good explanation of why, I guess, the U.S. didn't back the Kurds up, and I guess why they kind of, um, you know, left to fight another day when it came to being faced by the newly, again, reconstituted well, the, the Iraqi army Kirkuk. The Americans, in a very cold um, sense, have decided that the primary people they have to be with are the, is this Iraqi federal government and they want to gain brownie points with this Iraqi federal government by supplying them with the necessary gears etc and also to hold off Iranian influence that's a bit of a losing one actually right and uh, I mean that might not be something they'll actually like they're kind of uh, putting good money after bad in the sense of oh if we give them more will um they'll like us more than the iranians but yeah, actually they'll is, just take what we're giving and still like the yes. iranians <laughs> this this heavy equipment supplied to the iraqi army some of it then gets transferred to the the iraqi shia popular mobilization militias yep. that are under iran the iranian hand, command yeah under iranian command and have been integrated into the iraqi army and they are equipped 
de facto, as it works out, by mm. the Americans. Right. So the, the Americans equip Iraq. The Americans equip Iran's allies in Iraq. That, that this drives people like the Kurds crazy, as you can, as, yeah, as you can yeah. imagine. That Trump and co. go on about their confrontation with Iran and about how the, they want to get rid of this nuclear deal and all this sort of thing. But in, on the ground, it's uh, the United States. While, while he and others are saying that sort of thing, it's the United States that's supplying, supplying Iran's friends. Mm. Well, and the, the, <laughs> Now, the Kurds, I mean, they must have seen some of this coming, but they do have another major ally who seems completely at odds with any of this. And, um, you know, the these multiple layers of the enemy of my enemy is my friend kind mm. of overlapping in weird ways in the Middle East. But but Israel has always been a strong oh, supporter I thought of you, the Kurds. I thought you were going to say Russia. No, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> Which, uh, uh, that, I thought that was where this was leading. <laughs> but, but, I mean, Israel hasn't had a lot of great things to say about what's happening with Turkey or Iran or um, you know, and they've they've supported mm. the Kurds, especially. They've supported. I mean, they've uh, they've supported uh, the Kurds in this in this bid for for independence, uh, which hasn't necessarily been uh, been, I mean, a, a good thing for the Kurds, obviously, in their local situation, because of course the Iranians immediately come out with statements like, "This is the Zionist enemy, right? Backing yeah. these people yeah. up, and and so forth." So. So, um, I mean, there, there is Israeli support. I mean, Israel, Israel has said, yes, we support, support the Kurds, etc. But obviously that also gives ammunition sure. um, to, to, the oppon- to the opponents of the Kurds, and the, the Iranians use it in their propaganda uh, outlets. And so, and what about the Russians? I mean, the Russians... At that's, various, that's where I thought you yeah, were going. Well, I thought it was the Russians, because the Russians in the last year or so have been have been making investments in Kurdistan in Kurdistan's oil. Yes. And this is the oil inside the Kurdistan regional government area. We're not talking about Kirkuk here. Right. Uh, because in the last three or four years the actual production of oil from inside the KRG territory, which is still inside the KRG territory despite the advance of the Iraqi army and the Kurds pulling back to a degree. Yeah. I mean which they have to against that weight of military equipment that the Iraqi army has. Of course. Um, and obviously, although they took uh, they took a huge amount of casualties in, in Mosul and a lot of damage and so forth, and did, and did I mean in terms of the fight against ISIS, given the way ISIS had been able to entrench itself in Mosul, not a, a pretty good job. Uh, it was always going to be a really nasty, drawn out thing, and it, and it was. But they did they did win it in the end and did uproot these people. And didn't fall apart, but of course that gave them a lot of extra military experience. I mean, this Iraqi army has gained a lot over the last two years or so. Yeah, a lot of experience, a lot of expertise, a lot of equipment, and so forth. And then the that that's what the Kurds have to face. Yeah, um, as after this independence thing, uh, I think the Kurds made a couple of miscalculations. One was with the Americans that they that they that they would get more sympathy or there would be more divided opinions in Washington than there were. Sure. That's, and they seem to have faced pretty much a wall of American anger and opposition to the independence referendum. Uh, and they may have miscalculated also the position of Prime Minister Abadi in Baghdad. Uh, in that first point is, I mean, because Barzani gave some interviews saying like... Um, he he met Barzani, he met Abadi uh, in 
September last year, yes, when, just as they were going to start the Mosul campaign. Uh, and he came away from that meeting thinking Abadi was reasonably disposed towards discussing the independence issue. But firstly, Abadi, of course, uh, has to watch the Iranians. And the Iranians were not going to let this referendum, etc., go by. And, and if Abadi had shown himself to be soft, he would have been cut off at the knees by the Iranians. And is that because the Iranians have uh, anxieties over their own Kurdish population? Yes. Yes, yes most definitely. Yeah. Uh, so they weren't going to... Encourage. And then, and then of course, Abadi, th there are elections in Iraq next year. And taking a hard line vis-a-vis -vis the Kurds, because primarily Abadi is interested in the Shia Arab constituency mm. and beating his rivals in that. So obviously he would see something like this as an opportunity to puff himself up. Sure. Uh, and, uh, and that's not necessarily a good thing from the Iranian point of view, because he would be puffing himself up against Shia politicians who are allies of Iran. Right. So the Iranians have a, a sort of double act to do here. On the one hand, they didn't like what the Kurds were doing and felt they had to deflate Barzani. But on the other hand, they didn't want to inflate uh, Abadi too much in Baghdad. Uh, so what's happening now is that the Iranians are reopening the borders with Kurdistan uh, and I think saying to the Baghdad people, this has gone far enough. Okay, because I think Abadi wa still wants to. Push, Abadi was going to have a total economic embargo against them, oh, yes, sort of shaping yeah, up, yeah, cutting, the, cutting the, off the airports, the Iranian, closing but, the borders. But that would benefit primarily him, right? Not not Iran. Sure. Iran Iran has has felt Iran feels it's put the Kurds in their place from the Iranian point of view, and that that's been accomplished, and they don't want to go further, and going further would not be in their interests in Baghdad because it would inflate. Uh, it would be inflating Abadi, sure. Um, who's not a natural, really a natural ally of the Iranians in the Shia arena. I mean, they've got the previous Prime Minister Nouri al-Maliki, yeah, um, of 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 severe lack of fame from his performance, sure. Uh, but he was much more pro. He was very pro-Iranian. They've got the leaders of the militia groups, yeah, um, the popular mobilization forces. Uh, and, and and some some other elements in Baghdad, but this is not the Abadi camp. The Abadi camp is with Muqtada al-Sadr, uh, who is a sort of Arab nationalist Shia, yeah, uh, and not really online with. Just actually made a visit to Saudi Arabia, right, and not so much online with the Iranians. Interesting. Uh, and and the, that sort of camp of Abadi plus Muqtada al-Sadr plus Grand Ayatollah Sistani, uh, who's these were, it was. Sadr, Sadr and Sistani opposed these Shia militia being sent to Syria, for example. Okay. And so cut across Iran on that. Uh, and these are not people that the Iranians want to have getting extra weight out of this Kurdish affair. Gotcha. So the Iranians are doing a quite fine-tuned manipulation. Yes. Quite fine-tuned manipulation exercise here. Um, well, and now one thing I wanted to talk to you about that we haven't talked to you about in a long time, I think it's been a while since we've had you on, is um, this pivot of Erdogan. Um, mm -hmm. That has consolidated more and more. And now that I think back, um, I think the last time we had a substantive conversation was not too long after the coup attempt. Um, but 
Erdogan has really shifted geopolitical alliances significantly and consolidated his power since then. Oh, with the with with the Russians, I mean, the, they they felt that they've wanted to. The, if we're t we're talking now about the Turkish government, yes, the Turkish government uh, yeah. of of uh, Erdogan, uh, they've gone into an arrangement with Russia and Iran and Western Syria because, of course, the, the Turks have been the sponsors of the rebel groups. Yes, against Assad. Yes, uh, but the Russians, who of course. Backers of Assad. I mean, one doesn't. We don't really need to expand on that. No, everybody, no, yeah, everybody's, uh, yeah, see, everybody's seen that. That's clear. See some advantages in having the Turks on board in their process because the Russians do want some sort of political outcome to this. Yeah, and have not made their minds up about the length of tenure of Assad into the future. Okay, but to do any sort of diplomatic exercise that has any credibility in the, into the international arena, you have to have the backers. You have to have the sponsors of the rebels there. So Turkey, from the Russian point of view, serves a function. Right, and to the neutralize Turks, their former Well, it makes, it makes having Turkey involved in the Russian-Iranian exercise gives it credibility. Right. Gives it international credibility uh, and forces other people to take notice. From the Turkish point of view, they felt, well, the Russians need us uh, so we can as we go along, persuade the Russians that Assad should go. Okay. Uh, because Erdogan has never given that up. I mean, people who think that have made a mistake. He's okay. absolute that th this this thing between him and Assad uh, is 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 pretty much terminal. I mean, it's from the Turkish point of view. If he goes in a year or eighteen months or whatever, it might not make much difference. But go, he must. Okay. From the Turkish point of view, and uh, there will be trouble between Russia and Turkey somewhere down the line if the if the Russians are not prepared to adjust on on this one. Well, and, and that's that means the Syrian affair is not over. Okay. And there are things going on in Idlib, yeah, in northwest Syria that are quite interesting at the moment. The Turks have pushed into, pushed a military force limited military force into that area just in the last few weeks. Okay. And one question that arises is how. Did, how does that relate to the present state of the Turkish-Russian uh, relationship? Yeah. The Russians have obviously agreed to this. That's where the Turks shot down a Russian plane. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, now the, now the Turks, Turkish troops are across the border in that, that area, and that's very recent. We're talking about two or three, two or three weeks here. And the Turks, the, there's, a, there's a small Kurdish enclave there called Af Afrin, uh -huh. for, those, for those who are listening that, that follow the maps, etc. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the Turks have said these people, these Turkish people, uh, these Kurdish Kurdish people want to ex continue to expand that area a bit into the rebel areas. Uh, this is another subplot in the whole Syrian sure. thing: the 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 the, the 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 poor relations between the Kurds and the Arab opposition in Syria. Yeah, uh, which 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 is again yet got to play out properly. Yes. They've um, all been kind of uh, kept away from each other by the major powers um, previously, yeah, where they have the started to clash. The Turks are a bit concerned that they're pushing in, pushing down into the Idlib area a little bit, mm -hmm. and it also, of course, gives Turkey an argument for going in there. So, so on the one hand, it is actually a Turkish worry, but on the other hand, also it's a, an argument for to the to people like the Russians to say, well, we we have to have some presence there to to to, to hold hold areas, and and you guys want us to be involved in this thing, and you guys are obviously going to profit out of it, so you have to expect us to have something in it as well. And the Russians seem to have 
I think re probably reluctantly um, assented to this Turkish military deployment and now the Turks are moving further into the Idlib area okay. and connecting up with the rebel groups there yeah. um, including talking with Jabhat al-Nusra which has changed its name a couple of times in the last year or two just to confuse matters further sure and now the real winner out of all, a lot of this seems to be Iran. Um, they've kind of, mm. you know, got this uh, nascent corridor all the way through to the Mediterranean coast of Syria. That's been a geopolitical yeah. objective of theirs for a long time. Uh, and they seem to be toying with the idea of, um, you know, extraterritorial military bases and the like. Um, what does Russia think about yeah, this? I mean, Russia's enabled them, but they don't want them to get too big for their boots also. The Russians don't like it. Okay. Um, the, I, I think it is, it is probably what the, t the Iranians are up to. Uh, they, they, see, they see it as important that they get their, or their, their, their allied militias get with the Revolutionary Guards along with them, get, get the hands on the 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 Iraq Syria border area, which is sort of the hinge mm. of this whole fertile crescent thing, and the Iranians would like to, to have some sort of land transport link right through to Hezbollah and Lebanon, uh, to to Bashar al-Assad and so forth, uh, and of course the, again Bashar, uh, who. Looked who stands to collect out of this as well can play between the Russians and the Iranians mm. um, probably the only thing keeping him alive at the and moment the Russians, the, Russians, the Russians are I think have a limited patience with this and it may be also that they are prepared to allow the Turks to go forward a bit as a message to the Iranians that hey we've got choices too um and the, the Russians, but the Russians have the predominant position in Western Syria. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Mm -hmm. And the Iranians, the Iranians are, I think, a second second level player there at this at this point. Um, towards the border between Iraq and Syria, going eastwards, that's that's not a natural Russian strategic interest. But it has to be a strategic interest when others are interested. Right. And I'm not sure the Russians and are all that appreciate that they know that and they back it and there's no sign of disagreement that they have to back Assad to re-establish himself up to the Iraqi border not necessarily re-establish himself over everything in between right because they need to have levers levers to keep him compliant to keep, to keep him compliant to keep, mm. they need to have him kept on a leash sure uh, and so the Russians do have an interest in the in the rebel areas continuing now, because they can be they they can be used against the the, the Russians see see this that that they're a sort of arbiter and they can balance between various balance yeah. among various folks, especially with the U.S. totally absent, virtually in this in this whole scene. Surprisingly, now you know Trump's pretty bellicose and militaristic, but um yeah he's been pretty hands off in this arena. Even though he seems to hate Iran, he seems to love Russia. Russia and Iran are, you know, they have their own yeah. tensions, but they're working together. How do you think this plays into the whole Trump-Russiagate scenario? I think the people that are, the people that are running the show in, in Eastern Syria, the, the American show in Eastern Syria, I mean, Western Syria, the Americans are not present at all. They're, they're absent. 
uh, which which is a serious matter because, of course, that's where Syria is going to be run from mm. in the long in the long term. Right. Uh, and to sort of not have any role in Western Syria is is a big deal. But the Americans are in Eastern Syria have said our only issue is ISIS. But of course, that's that's not true. That they also have an issue with Iran. Mm. Uh, the Americans do not want. Uh, Iran to establish this position across the Iraqi-Syrian border. Uh, and so if you look at a map, you'll see that the Kurdish allies of the Americans have pushed a long finger down towards the border. And the Americans definitely are obviously interested in that. So there's this... ISIS is still there, and there's this competition between Russian-Iranian-backed militias and Assad's forces that are trying to push their way into the town of Deir Azor and and uh, which which hasn't been completed yet uh, and further down the Euphrates Valley towards the border uh, and on the other side of the Euphrates River the, the northern side the um, Democratic Union Party Kurds uh, backed by the Americans are pushing down that way as well so there's there's a double double thing going on here there's the there's the fight of both of them continuing against ISIS, um, which is which is still to a degree maintaining itself in in that area. This is a very slow grind. That's, mm. a, that's one of the fascinating parts of this whole thing is the way I this each battle with ISIS has been so drawn out, uh, and how this whole ISIS thing was able to set itself up in the in the strength and entrenchment. Mm that has required this basic ripping out of the ground and city after city after city. Right. Uh, I mean, that, that hasn't come to a point where they've just fallen apart. Right. Uh, and the, the, that, I think that's, uh, that's an interesting topic as well, to which I don't have uh, definitive, uh, definitive suggestions for answers. But, but anyway, the other thing, just before we leave it, because it's come back into my mind, which we had raised but I hadn't actually dealt with, is the Russian interest in Kurdistan? Yeah, the Russian interest in Iraq and in, in uh, the Kurdistan regional government area, which is this oil-related interest. In yeah, and they've invested in they're investing there. a lot in there and in, in development and in, in, in oil development. I think for the Russians, this is a better bet than Eastern Syria. I mean, there have been people that have said, "Oh, the Russians are interested in the oil in Eastern Syria." Well. Um, I mean, if the Russians are interested in oil, the Iraqi Kurdistan area is a lot much more congenial environment yeah. for them. Stable, much easier more developed. Yeah, much easier environment to have a re to have a decent revenue stream than the re than the, than, than the wreckage across eastern Syria. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people don't really think about things when they talk like this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the Russians are definitely and have definitely been interested in Iraqi Kurdistan, and also the Russians have taken a dualistic position on this issue between uh, Kurdistan and Baghdad uh, by saying, "Well, we sympathise with Kurdish national aspirations, but we support the, the integrity of the Iraqi state, etc." So it's a sort of have your cake and eat it. It's a big but. It's, uh, well, now and that's a different that, and that's the official Russian position. This this sort of dual. Yeah, duality, which is different from the American American position. So obviously the the Kurds have a little bit of hope about the Russians. Uh -huh. uh, what a what a position to be in to be sandwiched between all these um, you know enemies and hoping that one of them's going to uh, look favorably upon you. You've been to that area. I mean, yeah. you actually have personally met some of the people involved yes, yeah. in this situation. 
you know, any plans to go back or, uh, you know, what are they? Not, not what just are, at this moment. What, yeah. What, what's the what's the word on the street there? I mean, they must be pretty frustrated. I've I've I mean, I've taken that from what you've said already. I, I think they're very frustrated with the United States um, that they feel that they've been a, they've been an ally. They've been the ground force against ISIS for a large part of the last three years when the, while the new Iraqi army was built up yet again mm. and then turned against them. Right. Uh, and that the United States has basically ratted on them. Yeah. That's, that's, that's their sentiment. Um, and there's also a lot of worry, obviously, about internal internal division, which we, which we haven't yes, actually come to. Yes, it's not monolithic. Division. And, of course, yes, this... Um, the the sort of dissolution uh, of the Kurdish opposition in Kirkuk in the most recent incident was, um, well, some some sources related it to a kind of double cross within oh, it's, it's clear, Kurdish it's pretty factions. Cl- it's pretty clear what happened. The Patriotic Union for Kurdistan uh, decided that their the Peshmerga, the the armed force of the uh, of the Kurdistan regional government, is. Is, a, is basically quite heavily influenced by the respective parties. So there's a PUK Peshmerga that's, that's really under PUK influence. Yeah. Complicated a bit further by the fact that PUK is having a big internal split over the last year or two. Yikes. Uh, and then there's the Kurdistan Democratic Party of the Barzanis, which is in the northern... And there's a geographical divide here too. The KDP is in the north... The northern areas, Erbil, Dohuk, or Duhok, however you want to pronounce it, mm-hmm. uh, and the PUK and the Goran or Change Movement are strong in Soleimani or Soleimani or, or Soleimaniya, yeah. uh, which is more towards the Iranian border. And the Iranians have their influence on those people, and the Iranians used heavy persuasion uh, that the PUK Peshmerga would not fight in Kirkuk that they would not try to fight against the Iraqi army, and they pulled back. And that, of course, gave the KDP ones, who were present on the ground there as well, no choice Yes, but to pull back as well. Yeah. And there's, there's no question that that was Iranian-managed. Okay. Uh, and that was Iran's major input into this, into this affair. And, and as far as they were concerned, that was a successful defeat of the Kurds. Uh, and for Iran, I think that was the point at which they started thinking about how much further do we want to go, right? Uh, and how, what, how much further is it in our interests to go? And maybe it's not so much in our interests to to have our body just completely impose himself on these people, mm. uh, and then be interacting with the Americans against us. Levers, levers everywhere. Well, you know, we are so privileged, Bill, to have you, A, as a professor at this university, but B, as somebody who's willing to give your time to come and chat with us about this stuff, um, you know, whenever it's appropriate. And I don't think it's going to be going anywhere soon. You know, we'll we'll be having one or two more conversations. Yeah, if you asked me six or seven years ago, uh, I would have thought we might have uh, concluded this episode by now. And I think we'll be having a big conversation about Western Syria not too far down the track again, because it's all totally unsettled there as well. Well, and, um, you know, as I was saying, you should write a book, but it turns out you are writing books. So uh, (laughs) good good luck on (laughs) that. Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, I know a book, a book, a book built on quicksand. Yeah. (laughs) But I know quite a few of our listeners will be. Um, after that and yeah we look forward to helping you promote it when it's finally published um thanks a lot oh well thanks for having me yeah, yeah. we'll see you again soon yeah you're on radio 191